before to have Eric with us. Uh, Eric, we are going to bring you on camera uh, as we don't see you yet. And good morning, Eric. Jeff, good morning. on. Hey, good morning, Eric. This is Jeff Hammond. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. We've had a, a pretty busy week and uh, it's going really well and just really excited about bringing your organization in here and getting educated about what's going on with Molly Motorsports and, you know, what's good for 2021. But, you know, can we back it up a little bit? Tell me a little bit about your personal background and how long you've been working in, in the business. Well, I, I started with Molly actually almost 18 years ago. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, I've been a piston engineer my entire career, so that's all I know, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and, you know, of those 18 years, the last 15 have been um, in motorsports exclusively, um, transferred over to the division and have been working with them in, in a variety of different facets. Actually started as an application engineer, where I was doing project work for customers and teams directly, um, you know, failure analysis, performance analysis, looking at parts, reviewing, et cetera. And, Transitioned from there into doing actual design work, um, got got involved in the, some of the CAD work and, and putting parts to and ideas to paper. Uh, eventually became uh, engineering manager, did that for a few years. And then look at my, my current title, it says product manager, but really that just entails kind of responsibility for engineering, sales, marketing, and uh, uh, all, all the facets under that, but uh, it's, I think, kind of interesting that uh, it's one of those positions where you never really lose any responsibility. You just keep keep adding. So everything <laughs> from still answering tech calls and, you know, stock checks as guys come in to, to kind of keep a pulse on, on what's happening in the market and with our customers, that part's never, never been um, too far from where I'm at. Well, with that being said, also, you know, read somewhere that um, Molly – uh, is a originally a, a company based in out of Germany. Is that right? And it's like a hundred years old this year. Yeah, actually a hundred years in one day, December 1st, okay. 1920, they, they started uh, their first series production of aluminum pistons, two brothers in a very small workshop over in Germany. Um, and, and from that very small start, they've grown into this, this global entity that they are today, obviously diversifying in both uh, size and scope, you know, now it's, it's 160 some production locations in 30 countries and 70,000 some plus employees. And, and they've diversified from that start in pistons to, to almost every component in the engine. Um, in addition to um, getting into thermal management and filtration and, and all the systems that support those as well. Okay. With that, with that being said, you, you know, I guess you just you threw a bunch of things that may have come to my mind. So, where in the United States, where are you located at? And just you know, how many you know production companies do y'all have within the United States? Um, I lose track as well. There's there's probably a half dozen to a dozen um, companies that that Molly encompasses. But even for everything that Molly does, we're a very specialized portion of that company. Mm -hmm. Us motorsports per se, we make. You know, even though Molly may make all these components and different parts, we make forged pistons and rings for the performance and racing in industry. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting right now in Fletcher, North Carolina, which is where our, our small satellite sales and engineering office is. But production of every part that we produce for motorsports happens just about an hour north of us in East Tennessee, more Tennessee actually. And, and so we've got production facilities there that... Um, we make the parts and any of our uh, WDs that happen to be listening, that's our central hub for distribution and everything is, is packed and shipped out of that location as well. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the process, you know, you've been in the business for 18 years. I'm pretty sure you've seen a lot of things. I mean, first thing you got to do, you got to identify, what are you making it for? What do you, what does it expect to do? And it's got to go through a process of design and, and, I guess you might say you got to you got to fail this part before you can put it into production. So, give us some overview of what it's like, you know, going from from like I say, I, I walk in here and I say, hey, I got a uh, I got a six cylinder engine here that I'm running. A, I'm trying to make a special design deal for 
a straight line six that I want to run at the Bonneville Salt Flats. And I want to do this, 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 and this. And I need your company to help me come up with something that I can make a ton of horsepower with. You know, what, what would, if I come with you, something like that, or I want to build a, a special drag racing engine uh, that I want to, you know, go run in the NHRA, you know, what is the process and where, how do you, how does it work? Jeff, you were close. You, you, you touched on probably three of the, uh, the most important things that come there. And one is I want to make a ton of horsepower, but you've left out, I want it as cheap as possible and I want it to last forever. You know, not specific <laughs> okay. to pistons, of course, that's any yeah. component that we deal with. Um, but no, what, what I kind of wanted to talk about today um, is, is sort of why we ask the questions we ask. Um, because there, there's almost, um, well, it, it starts with when, it, when a guy comes to us with an application, you're looking at what you've got off the shelf. Is there a catalog part that fits that application? Because that's he's always the, the quickest and cheapest way to put them into a good quality part if it matches their application. And, and right there, we're probably touching on a word that I, I will use frequently today, and that's application. Because matching the parts to the application um, there, there's very seldomly a right or wrong part. It's what's right for the application and understanding what that part needs to do and what the requirements are. That's the bulk of the work. How to get from there once we understand and putting it in onto paper and in the computer and, and actually cutting chips, that, that's kind of the easy part. But making sure that we know exactly what that application is and what it is expected to do, that's the real bulk of the work. Um, but there's, there's also, uh, I don't want to call it hesitancy, maybe even stopping just short of calling it annoyance at times when it, it almost seems that, you know, if, if you're trying to order a piston and you've got something in mind, um, the questions that get asked, it, in the back of the mind, in my mind, I think there's this question of why are we asking those questions and not seeing the full relevance of how everything starts to interact. Um, and, and it's it's an issue that that crops up occasionally. It's you know I'm not trying to lay a blanket on everybody, but you'll see it from the novice garage builder all the way up to professional engine builders. Sometimes the professional engine builders that should know better are are almost the worst uh, culprits, because if you ask me for a piston that you know has X compression height, this pin, I'm going to run this rod, and I want it to be this compression. In your mind, and, and in most cases, you've probably outlined every specification that's needed to make that part. But sometimes there's subtle differences. When you start stacking things together, the rings are running into the pin or there's not room from the pocket to the groove. So that leads to more questions, information that wasn't provided up front that we then have to glean to understand, okay, what can we change or what can we compromise and still meet ultimately the end goal of what you're looking for with the novice, it's the opposite of that. It's, I need a piston to fit this application. Tell me what I need. Help steer me in a direction that, that guides me, you know, using the expertise and knowledge that you have to, um, to, to, to be able to get a part that, that's going to meet what they're expecting it to do and fit where it needs to fit. It's almost like some people are too smart for their own good, and they're trying to do your job to a certain degree rather than coming to you and saying, Here's what I got going on, and and, well, build, I, and, and work it from that point. And I'm not I, I like putting anybody down. I'm just, I, I'm oh just, because no. again, uh, you know, you, you hear people, and we always want to make sure. We, there's a lot of us out there who want people to be impressed with what my knowledge is. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, it, it, your specialty it, it, is building that application, and and yeah. again, you know, I just it seemed like you break it down to a simpler level with your last uh, response, which was just give me what you need because this is what I want. You know, just uh, I need this for this application and get out of the way of it. I'll be the first to admit there, there are many, many people way smarter than myself. But what, what the big difference is, is visibility. Is you as the engine builder or the customer have all the components in front of you. You can see everything that's coming together or know what you intend to do that visibility doesn't exist on this end of the phone. So in some ways, we've got this very small piece of information and we're trying to build a part with, you know, not our hands tied behind our back, but, you know, we don't have access to, to what it, what's on the other end. And sometimes we have to, 
pull that information out to be able to, to understand what we need to be able to, to give you the part that, that's going to fit, fit the application. Well, I tell you what, you know, let's let's go through one of those those processes right there. Give us an example of something that, that maybe we would find, you know, educational and and informative at the same time of, of what even those steps are. I mean, you yeah, give us I, you, you can you be if more. I can, let me let me bring up the screen. I've brought up some data here that we can share okay. because I, if you noticed in the background, there's way more emphasis on the engineering side than the sales or marketing. So this is not a sales pitch, and I'm a big fan of of data. Right. So we will um, we will we'll share some of this here if we can. Let's make sure. Uh, um, and just just to guide, you know, I pulled up kind of information, graphics, visuals of, of different things that I can think of. So you know, we'll certainly open this up to questions and we'll, um, you know, we'll jump around if we need to and, and touch different topics. Uh, more than happy to do that on, on basically any in, open to any question on pistons, and hopefully there's there's some some insight that we can provide there. Um, but you know, just taking something as simple as uh, a connecting rod. Um, you know, the there there's basic rod length. There's there's small end width, and those those are some of the starting points for every piston. But when you when you sit down and kind of think about all the things that can be affected, um, you know, and I made just a quick list of pin boss spacing, which is critical, you know, clearance from the rod to the undercrown, the shape of the, of the, the radius where the pin boss meets the crown, which is important for strength. And when you start getting into some of the specialized applications where you have boxed pistons and, and struts, um, making sure that that rod angle will clear the strut, then the bottom of the piston becomes important. There's, there's factors with these long stroke um, engines where they start pulling pistons out of the bottom of the block. And, and it's important for us to know where that is or how much of that piston sticks out. And, and in some cases being able to, to calculate what that is. Um, likewise, you know, the, the clearance to the counterweight of the crank, which is gonna be affected by what rod length you put on that crank, um, which in turn helps us check and calculate inertia for that part. and. Uh, um, you know, deck clearance, if, if we have to go back and check compression, you know, some of those things are, are relatively easy to, to do. And that, that's a case where, you know, using the engine builder example, um, he may, he or she, you know, may tell us that I want a, um, you know, 11 to 1 piston with an 8cc dish and everything else is well defined we're going to do our due diligence and kind of double check those compression numbers just as a sanity check, because the last thing we want to do is, is, is perpetuate a mistake or send something, you know, by the time you've made and produced a part and shipped it and then find out that there was a, an addition error, that that's a long way to backtrack and start over. So if we do the math, something doesn't quite add up. That's where it gets back into, okay, you told me exactly what you want, but now the, now the pieces aren't, aren't connecting. What's the data that we need to be able to go back and calculate where we, we bring that back together. Um, so, you know, just looking at something like that, that's as simple as a connecting rod. It, it, uh, other than having to fit in the piston, sometimes you, you don't think about the impact that it can have, but there's, there's intricacies in how the small end is shaped, not just the width. And when you start looking at, again, long stroke motors that require very short pistons um, and, your, and your rod is running into the underside of the, of the piston, um, just the shape of that rod can make or break sometimes what you need for clearance and, and not having to make compromises or determining what compromise is, is the best to work with, with the components that are available. Well, I mean, again, when you were showing all that right there, a lot of things were coming to mind, but it's, it it's makes itself so much more clear when you understand the, how the package has to start to go together, you know, on is, all of that. It's it, as, as I was putting information together and you start clicking through and it, and it, it almost became, I, I don't know what order to put this in because what I had listed up here then becomes tied into a variable that's down here. And then once you figure out this variable and you're calculating it, it's also used three steps down the road because there's, you know, there, there is no disconnect from one singular feature. And that's, you know, that's, that's the job of the piston manufacturers to tie all those variables together to, um, to be able to, to know that 
again, it fits physically fits the package that you need, but also is going to perform in the manner that it needs to, whether that's power, durability, longevity, um, you know, any, sometimes just survive. But there's, there's a host of factors that, that come into that and, and tying all those variables together is, is you know, what, what we like to do daily. Well, what I was going to maybe say is that, you know, continue what you started here and let's look a little bit deeper in that because it, as you go through the rest of this thing, I've got a couple of questions that may be better asked after I've seen the whole present or better, more of the presentation because I think it, it brings questions back to, for me, uh, working through the series that I'm working in currently, you know, as far as the uh, uh, outdoor, you know, truck, truck series there and NASCAR truck series. And, you know, since we are running, you know, the Elmore engines, which, you know, are pretty much, you know, uh, all one and the same, but some of the products, product, problems you come up with trying to deal with other series, you know, how you approach that in your, in your realm to make sure that the durability is there and we don't have, you know, we're actually putting a lot of miles on these engines before they ever get a chance to come back out and how you address that. So carry on. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So um, just one of the variables we talked on looking at counterweight clearance, um, you know, just a, just a visual to, to tie that in together and don't put too much emphasis in, in some of the sheets we've got hidden in the background. Really the, the point that we're trying to drive home with that is that for all these questions and variables that we're asking for there, there's some calculation that's going on behind the scenes to, to determine something about the design of that piston. And that's just kind of the, the reminder that, that we put there of, of what we're looking at. But, you know, and, and where it starts to tie together, if we're looking at, at counterweight clearance and, and, you know, how the rod length affects it, um, all that's going to be uh, factored into to inertia calculations and, and, you know, leads into the question of, of really what RPM range are you expecting that engine to run into? And, you know, inertia's, Inertia failures are typically pretty spectacular, unfortunately. Um, I've seen a few of them along my, my history. <laughs> yes, I, I, I did not have to search long for a picture. And, and yeah. that's, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing any, any parts, engines, et cetera, but what, a lot of what happens is, you know, there's variables that are outside the control where, where you can't, you know, unexpected RPMs, other breakages, et cetera. And, there, there's all kinds of reasons. So um, I guess in short, I'm saying I'm not afraid to show some broken pistons because we we've certainly won't hide from the fact that we've seen, seen a few. Um, but, you, but you make compromises in, in terms of, um, you know, always wanting to protect against the variables, but you can't overprotect because then you have pistons that are hitting counterweights on cranks or, or you, you run into other interferences or the parts get heavy. So everything is a balance and it's, it's about, again, the, the, the compromises that you make to, to balance out all of the factors that, that you're looking at. Um, sort of a, an interesting one that also stems from RPM. Um, you know, we talk about inertia on the piston. Um, you know, there's, there's things as simple as um, the, the, the circlip that's affected by inertia. Um, our preference is, is to use a, a round wire lock. I think I actually those that aren't familiar, just instead of a, a traditional square cut groove uses a round wire lock. We like them for ease installation, uh, but it's also a very secure way to, um, to, to fix the pin um, in terms of there will always be some side to side movement of the pin. And when that occurs, um, the chamfer in addition to that round lock is actually pushing the lock, not just trying to push it out against the material that's supporting it, but you're pushing it into the piston. There's a, you know, two vectors here in terms of that direction. So it, in some ways, the more force you put on it, the harder it's trying to push that clip into the groove. Um, but, you know, they also have um, issues where the, the mass of the lock itself can be affected by inertia and RPM. Now, to put that into perspective, is it something that the average guy needs to worry about? If you look at a 927 pin, a typical small block Chevy with a four inch stroke, long stroke, meaning um, you know, high piston speed. Yeah, that, that inertia starts occurring, you know, 9,000 RPM. Not undoable, but not probably, you know, your average builder and, and um, a few exceptional applications. It changes when you look at a, a big block application, you've got a different 
clip geometry, but you know, some of these big blocks that have four and three quarter inch strokes, that's a lot more piston speed. And you can see where that drops down to, you know, you might see some issues when you start touching uh, close to 8,000 RPM. But does that mean that, um, uh, you know, the engine hits 8,000 RPM and snap the, the clip springs out? No, it's, it's, there, there's other factors that come into that. And one of those is very simply the location of the clip. If you've, if you've got a gap where the mass of the clip can compress and act upon that gap, that's where you can have a tendency to, um, to see some clip ejections uh, or a possibility of it, where if that clip is rotated 90 degrees, now that mass that's, that inertia is working on can't close the gap. So simple changes like that will, will have an effect, and, and it's not by any means an instantaneous number, and it takes some duration time spent at RPM to be able to, uh, to actually realize that. But again, it's, you know, those aren't, aren't numbers that are outside the realm of where engines can run. So it's, it's considerations that, uh, again, takes information and data from the customer to know how the, how the engine is going to be built and um, how it's going to be used to, to start to calculate some of those things. We're starting to get a few uh, questions here, and I'll make sure I don't go too very too much longer without you know addressing those. Uh, Tom Nowak wants to know, you know, are you using anything as far as uh, different type of alloys other than twenty six eighteen or forty thirty two in your product in your product? Um, no, um, we 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 actually have an internal alloy that's a variation of forty thirty two that we use. So technically, the answer is yes, but um, for, for intensive purposes in this discussion, let's, let's say 2618 and 4032 are, are certainly the most prevalent. And it's, it, it's pretty, uh, I don't know whether it was coincidental or they were just, you know, smarter than we are today, but, you know, 2618 has been around since the thirties or forties when Rolls-Royce developed it. And that alloy has stood over the test of time for the last, I guess that's 70, 80, 90 years at this point. Um, which is, is, is fairly amazing if you consider the advancements that have happened in material science over the last 5, 10, 15 years. Right. That doesn't mean that we're not looking and every other company out there is doing the same and we're, we're continuously evaluating materials um, and, and, and looking for new options. But I can tell you to date, you're not going to see a lot of others in, in any type of, of high volume production. Um, there's some very specialized, very expensive materials that are doing good things, but and able or to, to have them to where they're ready to bring to market. Um, I can say personally, we're, we're still a ways off from that, but we never stop looking. But certainly the, the predominant materials are, uh, are the 2618 and 4032. And, and this, uh, again, while we're in the very easy, early part of this discussion of the piston and developing the piston, is anybody, and this is Robert uh, Samuelson who asked the question, is anyone using two-piece pistons or piston cooling jets? And is a, you know, what is a typical max piston velocity? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I can put a quick number to max piston velocity because right. it's very, very seldom do we have the opportunity to, uh, to dictate that. It's, right. it's the other way around where here's how fast it needs to go protect against this and make the part live at the piston speeds that are going to be dictated by the RPM and stroke of the engine. Um, cooling jets are very prevalent um, in, in upper race series. Uh, we're, we're seeing that trickle down more and more. There are, you know, at this point, tons of automotive OEM production engines that are cooled from the factory. Um, so as it's become more prevalent there, I think we've, we're seeing more of that trickle down to some of the lower series. Um, but, but again, it all depends on that application. Um, there, there's a lot of, a lot of engines that, that um, you can create and build the durability that you need without it, but there's others that there's no way that they would survive without cooling the piston. Mm -hmm. So yes, they're out there. They can be used. It's, it's, a, it's a great tool when heat is a factor. And um, you know, tying that back into alloys, as great of an alloy as, as aluminum is 2618, 4032. It's also a, a terrible alloy for pistons because 
as soon as you put heat to it, it starts to lose strength, you know, and over time. And that's, you know, maybe not measurable on a small scale, but in the theoretical level and, and certainly in terms of, uh, you know, engines that are run at um, full power for long durations and where that part has been optimized specifically to that engine. You know, let's take the Cup Series as an example. Um, you know, back when those engines were one race, 500 miles, at the end of 500 miles, those pistons were done. They may right. come out of the engine looking perfect and brand new, but uh, the integrity of the aluminum was such that the strength had degraded. Uh, you start to lose hardness of the parts and, you know, they, they weren't going to go 600 miles. They would go 500 miles because they were optimized for that plus qualifying yeah. whatever else you needed. Uh, and that was the big challenge when, you know, a few years ago when they went to the two race engines, how do you take a part that's optimized for 500 and now we have to double it. And again, it becomes what compromise do we make? Cooling's a big factor of that, tune-up's a big factor of that, and, and some changes in the parts themselves. Uh, but it's about managing, you know, again, all the variables that are building towards what that application needs to do. Okay. All of this questions and answer you've given, you've already stirred up a lot of people asking questions, the difference about forged pistons instead of cast pistons and folks saying, is there a, a high boost gasoline um, engine that would benefit more from, to a, from a steel, steel piston versus what's going on here? I mean, so this is the kind of, you got people out there got the wheels turning. Yeah, touching briefly on, on, the, on the steel pistons, um, I still think that's the future. Um, it's, well, it's old technology in diesels. Uh, diesel engines, your over-the-road trucks have been running steel pistons for, you know, 20, 30 years in some aspect, whether it was a, a, a hybrid of steel and aluminum or all steel pistons, which is most prevalent now. Um, there, there's lots of work being done developing them for OEM engines. Um, there's work being done on the performance side. They're, they're being raced in uh, certain series. Um, it hasn't quite caught up to where I would call it mainstream yet. Um, but there's also, uh, it, it's not as simple as, as taking an aluminum piston and replacing it with a steel piston because it has a, a big impact, particularly in heat transfer of the entire system. And it, it, it almost requires a, a complete redesign of the engine from all aspects to make those combinations work. But it does work, it's a very effective uh, material for a piston but it takes a lot of development to get there. So I think it's coming, but um, just not quite there yet. Well, we've got pretty much a specific question from, from Ron, and he wanted to know about uh, your diesel pistons that's already out there and your coating on those, and why are they coated? Yeah, well, ironically, and thank you, Ron, um, we – our diesel pistons, uh, we coat the same way we do almost all of our gas pistons. Um, we have what we call Grafal that we put on the skirts and it's a process we do in-house. It's graphite impregnated, it's there for friction reduction, um, a little bit of scuff resistance. Right. Um, but because we can do it in-house efficiently, quick, very inexpensively, there's, unless there's a piston that um, absolutely, or customer that absolutely does not want it, or a class where the rules won't allow it, we coat everything we put out the door with that skirt coating, and and it's the exact same coating on on gasoline versus diesel, uh, motorsports versus what goes into uh, some of the OEM production that we do. That you know where it's expected to last under two hundred thousand miles the life of that vehicle. Um, right. In addition to those, there's, there's some specialized coatings that we do in terms of um, anodizing ring grooves. Uh, we'll do some thermal coating on the crown for, for customers that, that want that. So there's options out there. Um, our gasoline pistons also have a, an additional uh, dry lubricant that's a phosphate coating that covers the entire piston. That's what makes our piston kind of a unique blackish dark gray color that it is. Um, so yeah, we're a very firm, big believer in coatings. Um, but again, they're all available, but it's fine tuning that, that coding to the application and what you're trying to run with it and what you want to run. Well, and when you say what you want to run, 
you know, we've been talking, we've talked diesel, we've talked V8s, you know, I know you guys make pistons for everything. So uh, Dwayne Wagner wants to know what's, you know, unique characteristics of a two-stroke piston that maybe is, is you know, this different than just what we're kind of growing up thinking, well, this is the way a piston needs to be designed here versus there. Yeah. Um, unique in terms of uh, the thermal properties of it, trying to maintain um, uh, expansion and growth, particularly because a lot of them tend to be running, um, you know, air-cooled in the past, um, you know, and whether it's air-cooled or water-cooled is going to dictate it, whether it's two-stroke or not. Um, and also you have some unique lubrication issues um, just because of, of the way that those engines are run main, and that's, that's in effect a good uh, segue from the coatings in terms of being able to, to take a, a marginal situation and provide you some added insurance uh, when lubrication can become compromised or by design has, has a mix of, of what's there. So um, there's, there's geometry issues with them, um, you know, and you have to take in, into consideration Know how the rings are going to be arranged and ports and things like that, and it's th th there are unique challenges for them. But uh, it's it. I guess I don't want to downplay it, but it, it's kind of similar to, to what you would see in, in most other applications, where again you you start from the very you start stacking up the variables and, and put all that together into a into a final design. Can, can you know with all this we kind of brought out? Is there anything in, in your schematic that you had as far as where you can show us where some of these developments that y'all are making or some of the challenges that you've run into um, where you where you you know can address that you know as far as the skirt height and and things like that because again you know we you just showed us a diesel piston and it's I mean it's got long skirts on let's face it and then you got other ones and think about I'm thinking more about like a, a two-stroke piston very very probably real short again don't have the, the room in there to do a lot of stuff and how, how you kind of like deal with that can you explain you know like say all the challenges man like say you have got i mean the, the ultimate anything that runs uh you know those those challenges that you just like have brought out in just like you know wrist pin stroke um you know just whatever you can allude to to help us better understand um i mean sorry jeff yeah See, I'm going to jump ahead here as, as we're doing. And, and, you know, you talked about trying to develop profiles. And this is an example of a part that, um, you know, sometimes guys will take parts off the shelf and, and um, you know, kind of mix and match rod or stroke combinations to, to build something new or as, as new, new combinations are put together. This was one that was put into a very long stroke motor that pulled out of the bottom of the cylinder. And we just weren't aware that that was a combination that existed or that's how it was intended to be used. And so then when they, kind of send it back for analysis or shoot some pictures over. We're able to look at that, collect, you know, the information that we need. And, and this is a, just an exaggerated view of what we're talking about. You know, calculate where on, where on the piston on that skirt are, are we pulling out of the cylinder? And so we'll use that. Um, let me find my, oh, right, right above it. Um, to, to, to dictate how we shape um, what I'm going to call the profile of the piston. Now, um, this is, is quite simply just a 2D representation of that shape. We, we use it to, to visualize it, and it's scaled for visualization, uh, a representation of the, the skirt axis of the piston, and then inside is the, uh, the pin axis, 90 degrees to it. So the offset indicates that there's some ovality to, that, to those lands and ovality to the skirt, which I, I think is, is common in most everyone is familiar that uh, there's um, not, uh, you know, pistons aren't round. To the eye, yes, but there's their shape um, almost everywhere to them that you look. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different nomenclature that can be used for that, whether it's cam, the barrel, drop, paper, you know, whether they're cylindrical parts, about oval parts, etc. We wrap all that together in, in one nice internal terminology and call it the piston profile. And that kind of encompasses a little bit of everything that we're talking about and just is, is a quick and easy way. So as you hear me say profile, uh, I'm talking about essentially the, the shape of the piston, how it's turned um, mm -hmm. in, in the final machining. So, you know, sort of a, 
you know, the, the nice visual over here, um, we took a piston after it had been um, machined once and then came back, reprogrammed it. And, you know, through the turning operation, the same finish turn operation that, that normally cuts the skirt, you know, we're, we're able to write our name in that piston as it's turning. So that's, that's the level of, um, of detail and essentially infinite parameters that, that you have available in terms of determining that shape. There is no one correct shape, no right or wrong profile for any piston. Um, and there is no one shape that works for every piston. This is something that we try to develop, again, being very application um, specific. And so with those variables, um, you know, determining, depending on whether it's, it's heated or it's, um, um, you know, if you're trying to manage heat or you're trying to, which is controlling the expansion or growth of the piston, or if you're trying to use skirt shape and profile for friction reduction, or you want to, uh, you can actually use the skirt to control um, how the part is lubricated. Um, all those variables can come into to how the ultimate shape is defined. And with the ability to, to fine tune that, you know, part by part and, and you know, to particular engine families um, and different, uh, you know, a, a circle track profile might be different than a drag race profile. Again, because those engines are going to be used differently, we have that ability to fine tune it and build it into, um, uh, into what the final part would look like. Um, I, I did see a comment and we're, while we're talking about profiles about the asymmetric barrels and um, right. thrust to non-thrust application, application. Um, and it's, it, it's interesting because yes, absolutely. But it also takes a lot of development and testing to make sure that what you're doing is working. There are applications where, you know, if you look at asymmetric, um, let's just say simplified to asymmetric skirt shapes, we've seen big, big, big skirts on one side, little on the other. And you'll see that where the big skirt is on the thrust side and, you know, the little skirt anti-thrust where the loads aren't as high, but there are applications and we make applications in production engines where it's hundred percent reversed because the way that you shape, not just the skirt, but structure behind it and how that profile is shaped you can there's advantages to running the little skirt on the thrust side the heavily loaded side and running a bigger skirt on the anti-thrust side so application 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 but yes there are there are instances where that can and will make a difference I mean, with all that being said and we've in the very beginning we talked about the application and the communication to make sure you get the right information we, you showed us the one that you could clearly see the bottom of the skirt had been coming out of the cylinder. Yep. What, and, and again, this is my being novice, where was the miscommunication and what, what did the engine builder not share with you guys? What, what, where, where did they miss that, miss, make that misstep at? What part did he not give your company to keep from doing that? Well, this, that particular one came in after the fact. It was someone who had bought an off-the-shelf part and compression height, pin size, everything lined up to physically fit the application that he needed with the stroke and rod that he was using and it fit his head and everything there was right. Um, but because it was a, I believe it was a longer stroke than what we had intended that part, somebody came out with a shorter rod version of that. So it was pulling the piston out further than we'd ever thought it would on a particular block. The other part is you know, the proliferation of parts that are out there continues to grow daily. So new blocks come out, they don't all have the same cylinder lengths. You know, cranks come out, they don't all have the same counterweight clearances on them or same size of counterweights on them. And I, we can't fault anyone for doing that. Everyone's going to evolve and improve their products, but all of those variables have to work together. And so this was a case of where they were, they were, had came up with a new bigger cubic inch stroke combination. And here was a part that fit it, but overlooked that one variable of, okay, now it's, you know, half the piston is out the bottom of the cylinder. And, and, you know, knowing that that existed, we were able to go in, make a profile adjustment to the parts and then, um, you know, and actually start cataloging it for that new combination that was out there. Okay. 
Well, I, like I say that it, it, everything we're, that you're explaining um, and, and the way it it comes out, it's that it's that again. I was just trying to understand. I think I do now that you know as as much information as you give one one misstep as far as one part of that explanation if it's mis sent or misinterpreted uh that's how you run into a situation like that it looks to me like you know it, the engine didn't fail but it didn't it didn't perform properly i mean what well, you know, right so what's what's the telltale sign when you're having something like that going on just a loss of horsepower i don't recall but noise could be an issue okay um, um, rattle you know, in the engine itself. It starts rattling a little bit, and, and particularly as you start to to, to run a little bit of a groove, or you saw it and taking the coating off, and you know, so the clearance there is going to be changed. So you might get into some rattle whenever the piston changes direction, or it may have been a problem when it was cold. Um, but typically, something like that um, noise and and starting to um, uh, this one probably wasn't blow by, but I would think noise and blow by are probably two of the biggest issues where guys start to question what's what's going on and what's happening. Um, you know, we, we uh, again, reading a lot of the questions right now that they're leading us off into almost how much um, testing did y'all do in-house on your own, you know, your products as you're developing them, you know, and, and not just maybe um, computer generated how much often, how often y'all do actually, you know, your own engine dyno testing? Um, yeah, and to touch on that, I think it, it also touches on the previous question about simulation. How good is it? Exactly. It's excellent. But really good simulation is very expensive and very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And coming back to the whole concept of, of data and variables, if you don't have very specific inputs to, to feed into the analysis, you're not going to get the results out. You can get estimates, you can get A to B to comparisons, but the better data that you put in in terms of temperature estimates for pistons, you know, cylinder distortions, all that feeds into having an accurate model. And when that's available, it's excellent. Very infrequently is that level of information outside the OEs um, available, particularly to the to the average, you know, even the professional engine builder. Um, it's, it's not as often as we'd like it to be, but we're able to still able to work around and, and, and find good information that we can glean from it. Um, testing is very difficult because it comes back to the proliferation of applications. And the reality is our customers are better engine builders than we are. So even if we have, we could have a dozen engines here in house and build them and test them, but there's six dozen engines that we don't have. So the truth of the matter is no matter what we do in house, we still see better feedback from customers, people that are building the engines that are pushing them, um, you know, and pushing them in ways that we're not imagining. That's where the good feedback comes from. And, uh, you know, that sounds like we're passing it off a little bit, but unfortunately, you know, the, the industry that, well, actually fortunately for the industry, um, you know, the builders and guys that are out there racing are, are pushing parts and pieces, you know, to, to levels that it's almost impossible to do in-house and, and not, uh, you know, you'll, you'll <laughs> the customers are very good at giving you good, quick feedback in terms and, of what works and what doesn't. A question here, because again, working in the business like I have been in for so long is proprietary information. You know, you're going to have, you know, People like Elmore, Hendrick, uh, Roush Yates. I mean, you know, they're, they're going to come to you every now and then. They're going to say, okay, we're doing this. When, when they're working with you and yet when you, you may, maybe they bring you something and all of a sudden, ah, this does work. And yes, work with, this will work a lot of different applications. How do you control what is, you know, theirs and what, you know, you would like to build, like, you know, you utilize in your own you know, uh, and other, other engine sources, you know what I'm saying? You, you run into the problem of when they bring you something, they don't want TRD or, you know, Chevrolet to get hold of us for the route chase deal. How hard is that? Is this a setup? No, it's not a setup. It's just, uh, I know, I know how, 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 how edgy sometimes that can be, especially in a company in your, your, your spot is that, you know, so much and you do so much. And like you say, when you, every now and then you're going to run into a situation where it goes, um, uh, 
And, and again, I'm just running to it. <laughs> It, it, it's very interesting because it, it is something is ours. Yeah. It's something that we that we do deal with quite frequently with them. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that we see more um, secret information from teams come from other teams than stuff that we leak out. You know, other teams asking us about, hey, we saw this. Can we do this? Yeah. But, you know, that's out of our control. Uh, but but a lot of it is um, it, even though some of the problems are similar the approaches to solve them still end up being unique. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing that there is still that much disparity between it because I, I could lay out a current, you know, FR9, the R07 and, and Toyota's piston on the table in front of you. And to the untrained eye, very, very small group, you wouldn't be able to pick out which is which, uh, but yet they're all unique. And, and there's, there's, there's things that even though they look similar, that, doesn't work for this engine that works for the other. So we can apply some general knowledge and that's, that's the advantage of working with a manufacturer that gets to see a broad variety of things. You're drawing on their information, their background without having to cross over into, you know, confidentiality and then, you know, specific things that, that we just can't share and don't discuss. And, and yeah. the bottom line is you just don't do it. That's how you, that's how you maintain those customers and their, their, uh, 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 you know, their, their, their level of trust. I'll share one yeah. more last quick thing with you just because we're talking about that subject. So I've, I had, uh, I had brought up a picture of, let me see, find it real quick. Ah, skirts. Um, talking yeah. about what a good, you know, skirt wear and everything looks like. So the, the, the picture on the left, those, those are NASCAR pistons, but they're old enough that they weren't going to get me in trouble that I could show them. Right. But uh, you know, you, you also can't see much of what's going on there. And that's a full, I think that was still back single race season. Um, and so I had to, I had to cut and crop what's going on here on the right for a, a current part that shows, I don't know if it shows really in the video, but there's a kind of a shadow that you can see and yeah, you can see you know, where there's where, yep. And that's, that's a full thousand miles, you know, that's in the life, but still, still looks very good, etc. But, and, you know, and I, and I bring that up just because there's always questions about should the coating last? Is it a break-in coating, et cetera? And you no, know, when, when things are right, it'll, it'll look brand new when it comes out. Um, but the other part is, and, and I'll caveat that by saying, you know, nobody learned anything there secret because that profile, uh, through a lot of iterations was developed for that engine, for the clearance that they run for their cylinder wall finish in terms of how it maintains lubrication, um, and the temperatures that they run their engines. You could take that same profile, put it on somebody else's piston and it's not going to look like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, you know, there in those types of engines, we have the luxury of doing a lot of development work, a lot of A to B testing where we can iterate in very small, fine increments and refine those to, to get to that level of, of running wear and, and the performance that we want. But it's not universal because it's dependent on the application. Right. Well, real quick, we got several questions I want to make, try to get to you real quick. Uh, Delmar Martin, he's a, he runs a machine shop and he requests uh, a lot of his customers wanting him to sell Molly parts. You know, is there uh, a way they can go to that? Go to your your website or through ePartrate to be able to you know become a dealer for that real quick. And John Zamaski also wants to know: Does Lee Morris still work at Molly? Uh, oh, Lee, Lee Morris has retired. Um, boy, I, I don't know that it uh, off the top of my head. It's been a number of years. Yeah. But, uh, yep. Lee, Lee was here for a long time and got actually Lee was here when we got started. Right. Um, but certainly on the website, Modern Motorsports, um, NA, uh, North America, or um, our toll-free number, um, 888-255-1942. Um, again, Molly being a, a, a large corporation, um, that's not a number that's going to get you into a switchboard where you have to go through 16 people to find somebody that knows what you're talking about. That, that's directly into our sales and engineering office, which is just a handful of guys here that uh, – I can probably, uh, you know, hear down the hallway, uh, half of them at any one time. So um, that gets in a same number for tech, for uh, for sales, for stock checks, any inquiries that we have, you know, happy to happy to talk to anybody about that at any time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, man, uh, you, you've uh, helped educate, I think, a lot of folks out there today. A lot of people, you know, say asking a lot of questions there. And you were, you were very generous of showing, hey, we're not indestructible. He wanted to share that with us 
and explain the reasons why. I mean, again, cause and effect has always been the biggest problem with any kind of, of racing or any kind of uh, product. You know, you got to kind of throw it the wolves every now and then, and you got to learn from your mistakes and you got to develop a way to get better at what you're doing. It sounds like Molly's doing a great job. And like say uh, 18 years worth of, of effort on your part, I can really see the still see the passion right now when you're trying to describe what you enjoy doing and that's taking on all the challenges, no matter what it is. Well, we appreciate you having us. And, and frankly, it's, you know, outside of the shows and things like PRI, we don't get the opportunity to do that. And, and even at the show, you, you know, you're standing talking to a guy wishing I had some data in front of me that I could show you because I can, I can say things all day, but if I can put some numbers in front of you and explain what's happening, it, uh, it would, uh, it, it, I think it goes a long way. Um, let's see, someone's asking that number again, 888-255-1942. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, we had a couple people wanting to do that. And I'm thinking right now we're uh, going to be joined by Francisque. And uh, Francisque, you know, you can help people. Uh, some people asking yes. about the presentation. Can they get a copy of it or watch it again? Yes. Eric, brilliant work, uh, you know, doing it by yourself for a full hour. I uh, you know you, you make things so simple. We had two other engineers earlier this week who dynamics chassis simulation in, in just a brilliant way, like, just like you did to make it understandable for all of us. So thank you very much. Please uh, send over the presentation. We'll upload it on the portrait on the uh, Malay's account if you, if you want. I mean, it, it's up to you. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now, and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.